Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. I'm your co-host, Sean Bigley, and I'm here with Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com. We're talking this segment about domestic violence. And Lindy, this is a hot topic, not just in the clear world, but generally, I think based on some pretty startling statistics that I found, 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States, adding up to 10 million people a year. Intimate partner violence is the single biggest cause of injury to women in the United States. So Pretty astounding, I think, certainly was to me. And I've spent a decade in law practice representing security clearance holders, as I'm sure most of our listeners know. Uh, But I know you have a a pastime of uh, perusing the Doha security clearance cases. And so you probably have a, I would say, really a better sense than I do even of how many cases are out there involving folks who have security clearances denied or revoked for domestic violence related issues. What's your sense on that? Yeah, I mean, it is disconcerting because I think when you look at a lot of the criminal conduct cases, a lot of those are domestic violence cases when you see, you know, and there's different things at play there and different factors, but domestic violence is kind of a recurring topic that does come up that security clearance holders, you know, have convergence of issues come together and then certainly end up in, you know, and again, you mentioned, you know, you're, You've written about this on clearance jobs and talked about it as a, you know, the role of a police officer. You, you are going to have police involvement in a domestic violence issue. You're going to have something that's going to be certainly a reportable issue. And that is another issue that comes up. Folks thinking, hey, it was a domestic issue. I Maybe the police came, but there weren't charges or they don't think they have to report it. But the reality is if you have police at your house, I mean, I would love your perspective on that. My perspective on that is the understanding of like, if the police are coming to your house, you don't wait and see what kind of charges come out of it. You probably need to report that and being proactive is going to be better off than something coming up, especially with continuous vetting, some kind of an alert in your record that would get triggered down the road. Yeah. I mean, so as it pertains to the self-reporting issue, I mean, you know, the the reporting guidelines under CAD 3 and generally applicable at most agencies. There are a handful of agencies that kind of take it a step further and have added reporting requirements beyond that. What I always have traditionally advised our clients is that, you know, the threshold for self-reporting when the cops show up at your home is if if there's an arrest. So we do see situations certainly where, you know, the police show up, it's kind of a keep the peace thing and everybody goes their separate ways and it's all kumbaya. That's increasingly rare though, I think these days with the domestic violence situations, because most states have mandatory arrest laws where if, you know, the cops come out for domestic violence calls, somebody's going to jail. What is kind of the general perspective, I guess, if you will, of the administrative judges and the adjudicators? Is it mitigatable? Well, everything is mitigatable. I think this is certainly an issue where your reliability, trustworthiness, and judgment are at question if you fly off the handle and do something that hurts your spouse. The whole person concept applies to everything. So if this truly was a one-time rare incident, I mean, you're going to get all my triggers, Sean, because I'm a little bit, I come at this from a bit of a different angle. And a lot of times in a domestic violence issue, by the time it bubbles up, there was a lot happening under the surface. It's usually an issue where by the time somebody finds out about it, there's a bigger pattern here. I think it's worth taking a harder line stance on it. I think the government in general writ large looks at it under the totality of circumstances. And in my experience, 
when you see those cases, there are usually other red flag issues out there. You don't have to stand on the domestic violence issue alone. A lot of times there's alcohol consumption issues, as you mentioned, substance abuses, some substance, some kind of a criminal conduct charge. Under the weight of all of those things, it is hard to overcome. If it truly is a matter of, I feel like I have seen incidents where maybe somebody has something in their background. So they're not a current clearance holder, but they're applying for a clearance. And in the past, they had something in their record. Those are a lot easier to mitigate passage of time versus I'm a current clearance holder and I'm facing a domestic violence issue that's causing a clearance denial or revocation. I would agree with that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, as you say, everything in theory is mitigatable. Passage of time is, is certainly a big mitigating factor. And I think it's important for people to understand when we talk about mitigation, there are some specific things that the government tends to look for in these cases. So, you know, if you've done something in the past, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's some other type of criminal charge, and, you know, you've made amends for that or, or taken ownership of it and, and made some changes to prevent a repeat, they're not necessarily going to fry you over that. I mean, it's it's something that over time, if you can show a maturation, an evolution of how you're handling situations, it is potentially mitigatable. But there are certain things that the government really looks for in these cases. So one is, is the person still on any sort of supervised release, probation, parole, anything like that? That tends to be problematic because the government says, you know, if the court still doesn't trust you, why should we? Often I've had to tell people over the years, you are not ineligible for a clearance indefinitely, but it may be that you need a little, you know, a little bit more time, get off probation, et cetera. The second thing is, you know, some sort of class or therapy or something surrounding anger management, parenting, those sorts of things, whatever the trigger was, you, I have to be able to show that you've taken some positive steps to address it. And you're not just, you know, saying, well, take my word for it, that this isn't going to happen again. And then the third thing is, you know, to your earlier point, if the person did have a clearance when it happened, was it self-reported or was this something that, you know, the person was trying to conceal and hope wasn't found? So all of those things, you know, provided the person has, has you know, done them and, and made the effort are going to be helpful in mitigation. But at the end of the day, I think the most important thing that I always have encouraged people to understand is that it's not necessarily the charge itself that's the issue, it's the underlying conduct. And so people sometimes come to me or they would come to me when I was in private practice and they would say, well, you know, can you work with my criminal defense attorney to help him understand how we plea bargain this down to some lesser charge so that it's not going to impact my clearance? And what I would always say was, you know, that's great if you can do that, but at the end of the day, it's not really going to make a huge difference on the clearance side because they're still looking at what was the underlying conduct. That's a takeaway for me that I have had personal experience with folks saying attorneys are coming to victims of domestic violence and saying, don't report this or don't go through with charges or don't go through with an order of protection because you'll be affecting your significant other security clearance eligibility. And I'm not an attorney, so I can say this, but I feel like if that's if that's the advice you're getting, nobody who's a victim should be threatened with not reporting something because it's going to affect somebody's security clearance eligibility. And I have gotten those emails, heard those stories and have personal experience around that. And there's always a bigger picture. You know, as an attorney, there's a lot of inputs. If they're looking at someone's ability to stay employed, potentially to pay child support, I get that there's other factors in there, but... I would caution as a victim, just know you are not responsible for your significant other's clearance eligibility and you should not feel a need to withdraw or withhold being proactive in that because that will eventually catch up with that person at some point down the road. 
This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearCast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.